on. <laughs> Crystal, my friend, how are you on this fine evening? Good. I'm good. I am feeling great after yoga. Long day. How about you? I too am feeling great after yoga. Thank you for a wonderful class as always. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it was lovely to have you. I remember very early on when you started teaching at the studio, which I don't know if that was a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. I can't remember anymore. Probably just over a year. But I remember it was either the first or the second time that you had been there. I don't know if I said it to you right away, but I definitely thought it. I said, this woman is an old soul. You did say that. <laughs> Young woman, that. old soul. Because I've been doing some form of yoga for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, a while, mm -hmm. we could say. Yeah, that's a long and time. So, you know, in that kind of time, you have a lot of different instructors and a lot of different styles. And it was something about your practice that struck me as particularly spiritual, which there's very little of that in what I'll call modern yoga. I agree. And for you to have pulled that out at such an early age in an, you know, in a hot, power environment, right? It's not, it's also not the most, not to say that it's not a spiritual environment, because obviously it is, mm -hmm. but like of all the possible yoga environments, like it's intense compared it to is. some of the others, right? Yeah. So for you to have woven that in early, I thought was pretty special. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here because cool. I'm interested to learn a little bit more about you and your background and what got you into yoga in the first place. And, uh, and I'd love to unpack that Bali trip and what you learned yeah. there oh my goodness. and uh, yeah. <laughs> some of those adventures. So maybe um, for folks listening, maybe just a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, what got you into yoga and um, yeah, maybe we'll start there. Cool. Sure. So my name's Crystal Maldonis. Let's see, I'm 26 years old. Um, originally from Massachusetts, Westminster area, so Central Mass. Um, but I only lived there till I was eight. And then with my family, my two sisters and my parents, we moved to Maine. So we lived in Maine for another eight years. And can you what part of Maine? Can you for it? Yeah, oh, so nice. right on the coast, right southern Maine. Um, I did school there, um, middle school, high school. And then when I was uh, going into my junior year of high school, we moved to South Carolina. So my, yes. Lots of <laughs> okay. I've been around. <laughs> so my aunt and uncle lived in South Carolina. So my parents wanted to move down there. And we did. So I finished high school and started college. So I went to um, USC, so University of South Carolina, but not the main main campus, one of the sort of smaller campuses. Um, a lot of people get surprised when I tell them that I basically flunked out of college. I was, I was bad. <laughs> I, what were you majoring in? I started with a major in art. So I love art. I was, I don't really do much art anymore, but I'm very creative. Um, so I was a painter, so I went to school for painting and I figured that I couldn't really have a career 
or at the time I thought I couldn't have a career that I'm sure I could have figured something out. But so that didn't work and I ended up just partying <laughs> like a classic college student and flunked out, which I think was for the better now that I look mm -hmm. back. Um, then I went to nutrition school for a little while online and that's what kind of sort of led me towards yoga because I really fell in love with health and wellness. Um, in the past, I guess I always felt like I was really spiritual, but it wasn't really an open topic in my family. Like they're not really spiritual. And I feel like I'm kind of like the black sheep in that way. I'll take that off. Um, <laughs> sorry. But um, anyway, yeah, so I, it was never really like an open topic. And then when I um, entered into this nutrition school, it was called Integrative Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So it was very holistic. And they talked a lot about spirituality. And um, then I just became very interested. I mean, that in was at USC or was that online? I'm sorry, what? Was that at USC or was that an online course? No, it was an online school. So it's a school, yeah, that's out there. And it's just a year-long program um, that is online. And, yeah, you just dive down deep into all nutrition nutrition aspects, but then lifestyle as well. And spirituality, spirituality is a big part of it. And then that led me to trying yoga. <laughs> this is kind of a long... Um, pathway to yoga but eventually I found my way there I tried a couple classes and um it just felt right kind of and this was in South Carolina and then um I decided randomly to move back to Massachusetts maybe five years ago and the first thing I did was look for a yoga studio and it was hot power yoga which is nice. where I teach now <laughs> And does your family live in Massachusetts now or did they stay behind? Oh, they're here. They actually moved back here first um, okay. to take care of my grandparents. And um, I followed them shortly after, which um, interestingly, when I first moved back, I regretted it the first moment that I stepped out of the car. Like I was so mad at myself that I did it. And it was really rough for a couple of years. I hated it. I had a really bad relationship with my mom. We were, we didn't get along at all, which was very mm. unlike us. But I think because I had sort of discovered that I was kind of different from my family. Um, but then, you Your know, mom is also an artist, right? She's a photographer. Yes. <laughs> so I definitely get all my cre creativity from her. And yeah, eventually it all got better and I can thank yoga for that. <laughs> so I practiced religiously. I took um, Kristen's training at Hot Power and then became a teacher. So what do you think was the turning point where you went from, I am enjoying this as exercise to this is a practice that can change my life to, I want to change other people's lives? That's a really good question. I think that is the coolest, like that is the coolest thing that happens with yoga is I do think that most people get into it from a for the physical practice. It's a great physical workout. It's relaxing, obviously, but then there is sort of this turning point at some point where you're like, 
wow, this is deep, <laughs> like life-changing. And that definitely happened for me. Um, it was at a really, probably one of the lowest points in my life when I was struggling with an eating disorder. This was after, so I, I just went into um, teacher training just because I had just moved here and I didn't really know anyone and I loved yoga. So I just did mm -hmm. that. And then during training, I kind of discovered that I had this really bad eating disorder which comes from, I have OCD, so I'm very, I'm such a perfectionist that led to an eating disorder, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I ended up getting help. So I went to Walden Behavioral Care in um, Worcester and the best coping mechanism for all of this change that was happening in my life was yoga. So that's where I really turned to yoga and I found that it helped me so much on a mental level. It helped me get better. It helped me stay really connected to myself. Um, mm -hmm. and that was definitely like the biggest turning point. And I was like, wow, I love this. Like it is the most amazing thing in the world. And I just felt extremely dedicated to it. So there was definitely that big shift. It's crazy when that happens and you can see it happen for other people too, which is really cool, but I love it. <laughs> I didn't know you before I had sort of fallen into that zone, mm -hmm. but the first, let's call it decade that I did yoga I was doing it as a way to be more mobile for jujitsu and mixed martial arts. Oh, wow. So it was strictly for athletic performance oh. and or relaxation, but primarily mm -hmm. for athletic performance. Yeah. Wow. And I think you mentioned that you watched the first episode of this podcast and mm -hmm. I sort of described kind of the awakening that I sort of went through. And yoga after that was radically different. Isn't that so Radically cool? different. <laughs> so cool. And now for me, I look at it as the physical practice, one of the eight limbs, mm -hmm. is like squeezing a rag or wringing out a rag. And inside of that rag are these little capsules of stored energy. Yeah. mostly negative energy. Mm -hmm. And throughout the class, we sort of break them up, break them up, break them up. And if you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough, mm -hmm. you can actually let go of a lot of it mm -hmm. during class, whether that's somatically, whether that's meaning like tremors or sighs, yawns, mm -hmm. you know, through the deep Ujjayi breath, Mm -hmm. Um, which is really, you could also do it with humming though. I think that would probably be weird for a lot of people in class. Um, yeah. but it's, it's quite effective and powerful anything because the stuff that's trapped is energy and all energy is some type of a, a vibration. Exactly. And so whatever you can do to vibrate that stuff out, I think is super powerful. Mm -hmm. And what I've also found is that if, um, if I'm feeling particularly safe, Samadhi, yes, yeah, Samadhi, um, Shavasana. <laughs> As if I'm going to... Yes, Samadhi would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be pretty radical. That'd be a hell of a class. Um, <clears throat> and for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it's basically once you've let go of all tension and you merge with the universe. Yeah, and in, like yeah. deep into your third eye, and that's highly improbable that's going to happen in a group yoga class, but you know, you yeah. know. Um, but in Shavasana, um, 
you know, this idea of being in a corpse pose, it's like, if you just lay still enough, all that stuff that you've broken open will almost like flow out of you because yeah. it's desperately trying to get out. It doesn't want to be there. Exactly. That's, I think, one of the really interesting things about this human conundrum that we're in is we do it to ourselves. All yeah. of the things that you hold on to, all of the pain, all the suffering, all the bitterness, it, if you let go, it would all evaporate out of you instantaneously. Yeah. It's there because you're holding it there yeah. because there's a piece of you inside that thinks you're safer if you do so. Yeah. Anyway, this is a lot of rambling. It's it's so but, simple though, right? It's it's like it's so simple, but we complicate it, and we so radically overcomplicate it. Yeah, it's crazy. And it does. We don't do ourselves any favors in this culture by focusing so much on the physical body, the gross body, that we don't pay attention to the astral body. At all, right? Like we don't believe in yeah. chakras or kundalini energy or any of this stuff that has been demonstrated to be real for thousands of years. Yeah. And I can say mm -hmm. firsthand from having both practiced it and read for the last couple of years, the amount of stuff that I've read, the podcasts I listen to, the individual experience that I've had, whether it's during yoga, during sensory deprivation floats, during mystical journeys. Um, you know, my own seances, whatever, um, <laughs> this shit is real mm -hmm. and we ignore it to our own peril. You know, yeah. we're, we're constantly trying to solve problems with pills and, you know, these, these Western ideals of just get tougher, get harder, you know, ignore it, yeah. push it down. Um, anyway, yeah. it is fascinating. It's fascinating how simple healing is, Yeah. but it's the opposite of easy, right? Simple exactly. does not mean easy. Exactly. It's far from easy, but and it really is so crazy that people need to see something to believe it. Like, but it's the believing that gets you there. You know, if you believe that all of this is real, you'll get there. If you but believe in magic. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that. it's so fucking true. Yeah. If you believe it's real, yeah. it is. It is. If you don't, so you're awesome. never going to be able to touch it. You'll have no ability to experience it because your mind is the most powerful, or I should say your consciousness is the most powerful thing in the universe. Mm -hmm. There's a non-trivial chance that it creates the universe, that the universe is sprung from our consciousness. We are the universe. So... <laughs> If that's true, and if your consciousness is telling the program that is the universe, all this stuff doesn't exist, then yeah. it doesn't exist. Exactly. And you'll have no access to it. Yeah. People are too wrapped up in the physical world and they think that's the only world, like you said, but there are so many other dimensions that you can access if you try and I think. So you mentioned that your family's not terribly spiritual. Yes. And that you sort of went off on your own sort of journey. When when did you start getting into spiritual quote unquote stuff? Was it after college? Was it when you were a kid? 
I want to give you like the most real answer here. I feel like it's kind of complicated. Like, like when I think this is maybe true for a lot of people that when you're younger, you kind of like know. You almost like mm-hmm. can like feel that you're spiritual. Yeah, you can like, intuit it. Right? Yeah. Like you just you kind of just feel more connected to energy. And I don't think that's something that you have to have in order to be spiritual, but I think that's a lot of the same experience for some people. So I just remember feeling like really, really connected and like very um and very sensitive. Um like to emotions and and people's energy and like I don't know it's just it was always there it was always like I'm really sensitive um but I never really um connected with it a lot when I was younger because it wasn't a thing that was really talked about mm-hmm. in my family like they're very you know wrapped up in the physical world they're amazing and I love them but they are in the physical world Um, And then when I started to get older, I would say it was probably when I started the um, nutrition school um, because I started to pick up self-help books. Um, I don't even know what led me to do that. Um, Maybe I felt lost. I I probably, yeah, exactly. I just started picking them up. Like no one told me, here, read this book. Like I just did. And that started to open my mind. And then slowly became more comfortable with it like it was sort of my own little personal thing for a while like spirituality wasn't talked about as much back then and now I feel like it's way more open and I wouldn't care if it wasn't anyway because I like you have experienced so many things that are just more amazing than you can even describe in words Um, but yeah it definitely probably started then where I really became connected to it So what was the first experience you had where it felt like transcendental, something that was unignorably spiritual? Um, well, this would be recent when I was in Bali. It was really crazy because before I went to Bali, I thought that I was like really connected to myself, which I think I I was. But I didn't realize how much more you could connect with and like how much was really out there. And so then in Bali, um, we were, without even knowing it, practicing meditations and um, yoga and asana practice that was leading to kundalini energy, which they didn't Mm -hmm. tell us because they didn't want us to expect anything. So Mm -hmm. I guess you could say... It was a Kundalini awakening, I guess. I don't know. Um, But that's what I would describe it as. But so this would be in Bali where um, we were meditating. We meditated about three times a day. Um, For all of you listening, I did my 300 hour um, teacher training in Bali, Indonesia. um, So is that you do a 200 hour to get started and then you do an additional 300 hours? Yeah, you can stop at 200. Like a lot of people just stop at 200. But in your 200 hour, you're really mostly learning how to be a teacher. And then mm-hmm. it's in like the 300 hours where you go deeper into the practice and more of the history of yoga and you know, meditation and all of sort of the other little bits and pieces that are really, really extraordinary about yoga. Um, so that's what I, you don't have to do that, but I wanted to do that. I knew that I wanted to learn more about yoga and you can keep going from there too. You can add on another 300, another 500 with different programs and people. Um, so you mentioned yeah. you, you had that 
Kundalini rising experience. Yeah. My understanding of Kundalini energy is that inside the body, sort of like interwoven between the physical and the astral body, you have the seven chakra system. And the energy travels along your cerebral spinal fluid. Yes. As part of the physical body. And that as you raise your vibration from your lower energy centers, your root chakra up through sacral, up, 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 mm -hmm. eventually, once it reaches your crown, that that's when you have that sort of otherworldly experience, the merging yes. of yourself with all that is. Yes. And, um, and there's a bunch of different ways you can have that experience. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah. Kundalini yoga, I believe, is specifically designed to do that intentionally with breath yes. work and certain postures mm -hmm. and certain um mudras, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So so yeah, there's like Kundalini is you said it exactly right. Like you're guiding this energy up through the body, but after I got back from Bali, I've been continuously reading about it too through a bunch of different books and stuff. And what is said is that this energy is always available to each and every person and it, it rests at the base of the spine. So below the seven chakras and it kind of lives there. But um, if you don't try to awaken it, this sort of extra energy that you have, then it, it will just stay dormant. It will never be awakened. So again, it's that sort of believing like you have to try to awaken it in order mm -hmm. for it to become awakened. And then just like you said, you kind of guide it through the seven chakras. Um, but it takes a really long time. Um, and every time it hits a new chakra, um, you have sort of like a mini Kundalini awakening. So each time you guide it up the body through breath work and meditation and asana, you have sort of like these mini kundalini experiences. So for me personally, I don't, it hasn't gone all the way to the crown because that would be enlightenment. So I felt it come up to um, the heart space, which was really cool because I'm not really the type of person that overshares or even though I am very sensitive inside, I don't really express that to people because I got mm. really comfortable at keeping it in, you know? Um, so in Bali, um, through all of this, I literally had this experience where I felt like my heart cracked open and it was a very cool experience. Like my head dropped back and you feel this rush of energy. Um, but so for me, I believe that it is resting at the heart right now and I would like to guide it further up. <laughs> so hopefully that makes sense. But basically, yeah, you have that you can have these mini experiences all the way up through the chakras until it reaches the crown. So you honor me with this uh, discussion then, because it sounds like this probably isn't the kind of thing you would have necessarily done even a couple of years ago. Yeah. Being so open. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very cool. Like, I, I just didn't realize how much you could tap into. And I didn't really have a steady meditation practice before I went to Bali, like I, I dabbled with it, little bits in here, but I really didn't realize how amazing it is to simply just meditate each day for, you know, 10, 20 minutes, whatever it is, or longer, and that 
can really change your life. So now I have, you know, a meditation practice. I'm, I'm wondering if you do too. Do you as well? I do. It's not as consistent as it used to be. It's hard. <laughs> um, so I used to do sensory deprivation floats several times a week. And so I would get an hour of extremely deep meditation at least mm -hmm. twice a week. And that drove some truly transformative years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to get control of a lot. I was able to let go of a lot. I was able to heal a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Truth Organic Spa in town burned down. Yeah. My heart continues to go out to Julie and all the folks there. Um, that's the place that I was going. And so um, I think it was maybe November. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I lost that part of my practice. Mm -hmm. And I have been doing meditations, but not as consistently and certainly not as nearly at great lengths. It's closer to like five to 10, maybe 15 minutes. And I might be lying down on a bed of nails. That's one of my favorite ways to do it. I've got a uh, AccuSpike mat. Oh. Uh, it's, it's just so interesting, the different ways that you can get your body to let go. And you wouldn't yeah. think that stabbing yourself with hundreds of nails <laughs> would be the answer to it. But by shocking your body with something, you can actually, that's not really a threat because it's not enough to puncture you, but it's enough mm -hmm. to shock the body. And then once the body gets over the sensation of like, oh shit, right? The initial yeah. shock, then it completely relaxes much more than before you had the experience at all. Um, anyway, and what I've, what's changed about my practice is originally I was trying to do something. You know, I was a big achiever uh -huh, for most yeah. of my life, right? And mm -hmm. so in meditation, I was like, like, I must calm the mind. I must keep the thoughts out. <laughs> I must do this. And if I wasn't doing it, then I was failing and I was getting frustrated. And now <laughs> I just close my eyes and breathe. Oh, and yeah. whatever happens, it's like a movie. It's always just a movie. That's the irony about life, right? Is we get sucked into this matrix thinking that we're doing something. And it's like, yeah. it's all just passing before you like this multidimensional film. And we get tricked into thinking it's something that's, you know, so much more consequential than that. Yeah. And that's what causes all the stress and the anxiety. Exactly. Um, so now when I meditate, I just, you know, let the thoughts and emotions come. And oftentimes I'll go into a state that's sort of between sleeping and awake mm -hmm. where I can still hear everything. Um, but I'm not, I'm not in this conscious space. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. I know there's been some research done on it recently. Andrew yeah. Huberman's been talking about it on his podcast, I think. Yeah, I've heard about there's like four kind of layers to meditation. Um, mm. um, I can't remember exactly, but there's a lot of yoga science that that goes into, such as like the koshas and everything, which I won't go into because I'm not, I don't feel comfortable well enough to talk about it correctly. But I know that there is four dimensions that you can kind of hit throughout a meditation practice, just like you're saying, and you can kind of go further and further. And, uh, you know, the 
the one time I made it quote unquote all the way or as far into it as <laughs> I can conceive of going, uh -huh. um, that was wild. That was absolutely wild. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is I didn't really chase that again, which is also mm -hmm. atypical of me. Like normally I was a peak experience chaser, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was driving fast cars or going on fancy vacations or buying nice things. It was always about like the best, the best, the best. And for some reason, after I experienced that, it was just like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> and then I wanted to understand all the stuff around it, yeah. but I wasn't necessarily like, I have to get back there and do it again and yeah. again and again. And I think I probably did get close once or twice. I don't mm -hmm. actually even remember, to be honest with you. But it's almost like you don't even, once you know it exists, you don't need to necessarily experience it anymore. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you shouldn't point in the direction that would eventually guide you there. Yes. Because your life will just be better off for it. But it's more about cracking the shell. It's very much, the movie, The Matrix, I, I look at yeah. as like such yeah, a perfect like allegory for life. It is. Because it's like, holy shit. It's really once what you it's like. It. You get yeah. stripped out yeah. and you're like, God, yeah, and then I've been living like myth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I just it feels. Watched that recently, <laughs> it's amazing. for the first time. Yeah, because in Bali, our teacher kept talking about it. He kept referring to it. He was like the blue pill and the red pill, and we're like, and he's like, you have to watch the Matrix. So I just watched. And the it problem and is, like, you can't you can't go back to sleep. That's the thing. It's like once you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I don't know about you, like where you've been on your spiritual journey, but like there's this like new tripwire every three months, something new to get like stumble on. And it's just like, you think you've got something figured out. And then all of a sudden you're in like the dark night yeah. of the soul or I know, you know, but I almost bathing have... in nihilism. <laughs> yeah. I like love the dark moments now though. Like I feel like a little while ago, you know, most people get quite afraid, I guess, of the darker moments in your life. And now when they come up, I love them because I'm like, you know, that there's like a turning point, you know, that, mm -hmm. It, it something is changing something is shifting so i love the dark moments now i think a lot of it is about perspective so my grandfather passed away uh maybe a month ago oh, I'm so and thank you and he was a very significant figure in my life um we spent every week we were there as kids mm. and when I went to go see him, uh, his body at the hospital, he died in the same hospital on, in the same wing on the same floor as my dad did, Whoa. which was a fascinating experience to be walking back in there, yeah. sort of retreading old ground. Yeah. And my relationship with the situation couldn't have been any more different in terms of like, you know, resistance versus acceptance. And mm -hmm. I was just so grateful for the work that I've been able to do so that going in there, I was able to just feel everything mm -hmm. and just cry passionately mm -hmm. and, you know, laugh and smile and, you know, really gaze upon him without shunning or you know needing to look away mm -hmm. being afraid of what i might see or how i might feel 
and I just felt like I had a really complete experience. And to me, that's what coming to grips with the darker sides of life can do for you is you accept that we're on this wave. You cannot just have peaks. Yeah. If you have peaks, all the time that you're like in between, you're fearing the valleys and you're creating your own hell. Yeah. Because guess what? The valleys are coming. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing you're going to do about it. Yeah. You're going to crash a car. Someone's going to die, right? Like <laughs> shit just fucking happens. Yeah. You might as well embrace it. And you might as well embrace it. And I think it was Michael Singer, the guy who wrote The Untethered Soul, which was the book that really kicked me like off the cliff down this path. Wow. That's a great book. Amazing. He, um, he does a bunch of lectures, which I can't recommend enough. It's a three-part series on uh, Audible, if anybody cares to listen to it. <laughs> he makes a comparison. He's like, we don't realize that we are living in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is not some mythical place you go when you die. We're in it because the most likely scenario is that this entire situation is created by an all-powerful, all-knowing entity that we call a god mm -hmm. for the sake of experience. Because mm -hmm. if you are everything, know everything, you know, can do everything, then there's no surprise. There's no yeah. inquiry. There's nothing to experience. And so, yeah. like, we, we fall asleep on purpose coming in here such that we can experience things. Yeah. So every single thing in front of you, whether it's the car that's going too slow or the, you know, the ill pet. And I'm sorry again about your, your cat. That's okay. Thank you. Everything is a blessing compared to the cold, dark void of space. Yeah. If you really think about it, if you point in any direction, leave this planet and start traveling way before you die, you'll have hit nothing. And then a hundred lifetimes, you'll have hit nothing. And you keep going, you'll have hit nothing. Most of the universe is absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> and we have tricked ourselves into thinking that only when we're getting exactly what we want, and it's more than everybody else around us, that we can feel happy. And that's, again, it's the way of which we like self-flagellate and contain ourselves in our own prison. When you can just let go and appreciate like, yeah, you know what? It's dark and it's hard and it hurts, but it's also beautiful. It's beautiful how much I cared for my grandfather. It's beautiful how much you cared for your cat, exactly. right? It's a gorgeous thing that that love can even exist. Exactly. Exactly. Again, it's perspective, just like you said. Like when you look at it like that, it's it's an experience. Like feel it all, be present with it all because you you sort of had this chance to do so um so i completely agree yeah so one of the things that you had mentioned is that your heart chakra was the one that you got to burst open in bali yeah what do you think or have you considered what sealed that off to begin with was oh, it yeah. like very interesting childhood trauma was it 
all the moves, going and having to meet new people as you were a teenager? Because those are obviously challenging formative years. Um, I guess I usually pin it all back to, let's have amazing family. I'm very lucky. They are amazing. And so they're, I'm so lucky to have them. But I guess I would say that most of the things that I would consider a problem, I guess, in my life, sorry, my cat is coming over here. Um, <laughs> she wants to be in it. But everything that I can, that have sort of created a lot of challenges in my life come from being younger. I was bullied, disliked a lot in middle school. So when I moved to Maine and I was put in a new middle school, school sucks. what is awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. It's terrible, but it Just scarred terrible. me. It scarred me for life. Like from that moment, I felt like I wasn't enough. I would never be liked. I wasn't pretty enough, cool enough. Like I just never felt enough. Like my worth got kicked down mm. and I felt that way for a really long time. So again, when you feel like you're not enough, you hold everything in because you're afraid to show the world who you are. So I think I just closed my heart for a really long time. And I, do you think you realized that that was happening? When? When you were, let's say, in high school, do you think you realized that you had been affected by those middle school years and that you were behaving no. in a different way because of it? No, I really didn't. And I think that's so crazy that it took me a really long time. Like I think this was recently. It was probably when I was healing from having an eating disorder that I realized like you kind of can trace, you can trace your trauma. And I always thought, you know, I had an amazing childhood. Like I don't have trauma. And then I was like, wait, but like you pinpoint the moments that if you think about it hard enough and go through your life, you can find the moments that really did scar mm -hmm. you. So this was just recently where, or a couple of years ago, I was like, wow, that moment scarred me, but then you can work through it, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, I guess I closed off my heart for a really long time and just recently started to let it open. Um, so that way it was such a profound experience in Bali because I'd never felt that before. I'd never felt that much love for myself from the universe, I guess, an unknown source. I have no idea. But I immediately went and got a tattoo. <laughs> like that's how profound it was. I got a tattoo on my of my heart chakra on my sternum the very next day. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Um So for folks who don't have the budget, the wherewithal, let's say they're not at a place where they believe enough in all of this stuff that we're talking about to take that kind of a leap. How would you recommend somebody get started when, because people could be watching this anywhere in the world yeah. and wherever they walk in, they might walk into somebody who all they give a shit about is the asanas and they're just, you know, helping you get a good workout. How would mm -hmm. you recommend folks start to explore and understand more about the complete picture of yoga? and what it really is. That's, um, 
there's like, that's hard. <laughs> if you are really looking for that, I think taking slow classes is a great way to feel the benefits of relaxing and breathing. I mean, when you have the time to slow down, which a lot of people don't like to do, they avoid slowing down. They think mm -hmm. slow yoga, it's not going to give me anything, which I thought the same thing too. But when you just go do it, just go do it. <laughs> this is my recommendation. Go take a slow flow yoga class and just fully experience it. You know, notice what's happening with the breath. And it may be uncomfortable because a lot of people don't slow down. They're not used to that. But just going to do that, sort of having some space to be present with yourself, with your body, just you become more aware and a little bit more connected. And I think the more you do that, the more you sort of slow down. I guess it doesn't even have to be in a yoga practice. That can really help you connect with what yoga is really all about. It's it's connecting back with yourself, with the world around you, with energy, with sort of the subtler aspects of the world rather than the physical world. So I think, yeah, slowing down is a huge part of it. Yeah. Have you ever done any uh, cold exposure? Um, Not really. When I was in Bali, again, they had the, um, what do you call it? Like the cycles where you do like the hot tub and then the cold. We did that mm -hmm. in Bali and that was Amazing. But I only did it one time, so I don't have much experience with it. I wish there was something around here. Maybe you know of something around here. There is. There's a place in Rhode Island. Um, I'll have to get the name of it. Um, yes. my, my wife booked us something next month. We're going away for a weekend and we're going to do it. It's uh, It's like a water therapy thing where there's all these different stations and you go from yeah. amazing place to place to place. Um, my friend Shauna got me into cold exposure and she got into it, I believe, through Wim Hof. Have you heard of him? Sounds familiar, but. So Wim Hof is, is from Norway, Iceland. I don't know. He's from somewhere that's cold. <laughs> um, and he's a yogi and <clears throat> he. <clears throat> He's got a really tragic story. I think he lost his wife and his kids. Um, and he was like really on the brink and somehow stumbled into cold exposure therapy and realized that by using it in the same way that like relaxing enough can let the energy out, mm -hmm. slowing the vibration of your cells down enough can let the energy out. Wow. And so it's really fascinating. Like if you sit in an ice tub for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and really like do the deep breathing, yeah, it, you'll find yourself just bawling uncontrollably, <laughs> no idea why. And it's not because you're cold. <laughs> it's because stuff is just pouring out. Yeah. Wow. I witnessed it happen to, to my friends before. Um, so he's, he's gone so far down the path that, he can control his immune system. So they've done studies where he'll go into a lab and they'll inject him with pathogens that are known to create like an um, immune response. Mm -hmm. And through deep meditation, he can shut off the immune response. 
He can sit in water that should give you hypothermia in like minutes and he'll sit there for an hour submerged to his chin in so ice basically he's practiced this so much that he's gotten used because to it? he's yeah because he's it's not just that he's gotten used to it it's that he has done the yoga to mm. overtake his mind and the and the control systems in his body wow and a lot of that is possible because this mm -hmm. cold exposure therapy allowed him to heal all the trauma out of his body. Wow. So I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a Rage Against the Machine music uh, album cover with a monk sitting in lotus pose on fire. Have you ever seen this? No. It's a very famous image. <laughs> of course I haven't so seen it. <laughs> it's... Uh, well, you're a little young to to have been into Rage Against the Machine of the '90s, but yeah, I don't, I can't even think. It's of a that. very, it's a very famous image, and it was, he was protesting, um, sort of anti-Buddhist happenings in that part of the world. Okay. And this guy sat down in lotus posture, had gasoline poured over him lit himself on fire and burned to death in lotus posture. And what that proves to me is that there is literally nothing that you can't overcome with the right amount of training and focus. Like people talk about, oh, my animal instincts, I couldn't not cheat or I couldn't yeah. not steal that thing or I couldn't not whatever. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just no, haven't. You have not healed enough of the stuff yes. that kept all your energy in those lower chakras yes. focused on those animalistic, animalistic instincts, yes. right? That you weren't able to use the energies up here mm -hmm. to control all of this. Yes. I no longer remember why I started down that tirade. <laughs> I don't know either, but I, I like where it went. <laughs> You're so true though. It's like, you have to let go. You have to start the process of letting go. And the more you let go, the more, again, I guess the energy would move up the body and you can use your instincts and your intuition and your heart. You're so right. And most people, unfortunately, are stuck in the lower chakras. And How has your life changed since coming back from Bali? I'm so much more relaxed. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, my life is not that different. Like, my actual life, like, from someone else's point of view. I still have the same jobs, but I am so much more relaxed. And Your lived experience is more peaceful. Yes, exactly. Like things just kind of pass through me and I just let them go. And not all the time, obviously, like there are things that annoy me and I get mad about, but it's, <laughs> it's really crazy. Like it's just a little bit easier. <laughs> so like, the more you practice this, I think that's why, like, there's this depiction, I guess, of spiritual people being really happy because you, like you said, you've let go of stuff and you continue to let go and you stop letting it affect you. And life really is a little bit lighter and you have more happiness. If, I mean, it's a practice. You have to continuously work on these things, but the effects are, are real. So yeah, it just like my life may look exactly the same, but it feels a whole lot different. And 
I like the way you said it looks the same, but it feels different. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's exactly, that's exactly how I would describe it. And, um, I don't know what I was going to say, but, oh, of of course, like there's challenges too. But like I said, you sort of show yourself, I guess, the strength that you have through, through facing all the stuff that's on the inside. So through yoga, you obviously have to face some really dark stuff, insecurities, things that drama, things you've been holding on to. Through that, you find a lot of strength to, again, like you said, um, embrace the challenges that are coming next in life, the valleys of life. And you embrace them. You learn how to embrace challenge, which is one of my favorite parts about yoga. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever done any... um traditional therapy what have you ever done any traditional therapy like talk therapy a little i did just when i had an eating disorder i had a therapist and one of them i hated he was he was awful he was i don't know if i can swear but he was an asshole he's an asshole he's a douchebag uh but then i had another i had another therapist and, and he was he was really helpful why do you ask well i've been in therapy in some form or fashion for probably 30 years um i had a Mm -hmm. very traumatic childhood very abusive household and so Mm -hmm. my mom put me in therapy early Mm -hmm. um i went to family therapy for a little while and then i was in couples counseling for like 10 years and now i'm in individual therapy currently Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting um the different modalities there are for healing. And, you know, mostly I look at traditional therapy less at helping to heal and more at helping to triage. So what I didn't see, what I was not able to see myself was how much damage I was doing to myself by acting out my trigger responses. And so therapy helped me understand more about like, oh, that's not a sensible response to that stimulus. Like there's Uh something else there. Where does that come from? Right. And it helped me like pause and consider like, where, where is this generating from? And then it gave me the tools to, if I could give myself a second or how to buy myself a second, right. Mm -hmm. If I felt out of control, like I got to leave the room, I got to hang up the phone. I got to, you know, it's way better to hang up or walk out of the room than it is to do or say something that you can't take back, yeah. right? And so it starts to give you these uh, components that can help you start to create more space in your life so that you could get to psychological safety. Because if you grew up really traumatized, mm-hmm. and not to put everything on a scale, but like sometimes it's it's bad enough that like you never feel safe yeah. and it's really hard to heal in that state yeah. because if you can't be still enough to ever open your heart, to ever be vulnerable, to ever be empathetic to another person, like it's extremely difficult to make any kind of progress. Yes. So um, I was just curious if there was any component of that with you, um, just for folks who are listening who maybe have not tried therapy yet, but are curious about it. I love what you uh, said. I too have had... Um, thank you. Um, I too have had shitty. And I think that for people, 
yeah for people who are you know like really on the fence and it took it takes everything in you to find a therapist and to make that call and to show up for that first appointment it's a journey do not look at it as an event and that like yeah. this is the person and that all therapists are the same put yourself in the mindset if you can that like i'm on a healing journey and i'm going to ride the wave and i will heal in some form or fashion as i go and it might take me one two three therapists before i find somebody who's suited for me yeah because i remember there was this one woman where i was just like bitch you said what like she was super inflammatory she was like degrading my father in front of me who had just passed away and i was just like i don't even understand what's happening here oh my god Awful. so you've got to you've got to find and i'm the person that, that i'm actually seeing a couple of people right now the people i'm seeing now are just perfect for me but it's like the first uh, one of them is a gentleman he's more of a traditional guy and i was on a waiting list for like 5 months you wow. Know, because not because I knew he was like the guy, I just reached out to somebody local, put myself on a list and you know, it just happened to work out. And in the interim of that, I tried Zocdoc and I just found some random woman who I think it was after the third or fourth uh session, she said <laughs> I don't know what where to go from here. Like I had stumped stumped her in terms of like the situations I was dealing with. Cause a lot of the stuff that, you know, I had been working on was, you know, very spiritual and, and complicated in yeah. terms of like fear of death and nihilism and all this stuff. And she was, you know, I think more used to dealing with people who were at the very beginning of their journey. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes. anyway, so don't, don't be afraid to try and, and find somebody who works. I agree with that. Um, yeah, it's definitely a journey. So going back to your current journey, what do you see as like what you work on now? What What is actively part of your practice these days? Um, let's see, for yoga, well, I consistently practice um, asana at the studio, um, which I would say is mainly just asana, not just asana, but it's mainly asana practice, obviously with connection to breath. And um, I, that's amazing. I always will love that. But at home, what I'm actively working on is keeping a solid meditation practice. Um, like we were talking about, it can be really hard to keep meditating, like actually sitting down and meditating. And when I first got back from Bali, I was really like nervous that I was going to lose it. And I was a little hard on myself. I was like, you have to meditate every single day. Um, but I've kind of found this balance now where if I can't, I can't, and it's fine. So it's really cool to find that. And I just kind of do it when I can and I crave it now. So it kind of just works out where I fit it in. Um, and then I don't know, I don't know. I'm what else I'm working on. I, I'm in a funny place, I guess. Like, like I don't really know what's next, which is which is weird. It's kind of like a little scary. Like, I don't know what I'm doing next. Like, I have a bunch of ideas of where I want to go as a yoga teacher and in my career. Um, so I'm really working on kind of figuring that out. Like, I'm not being so hard about on myself about it. You know, like I need to figure it out now. But I'm kind of just like 
in this process of like figuring out what's next, uh, which is a cool place to be as well. But just, I think for me, like I, I sound so basic when I say, oh, meditation saved my life because so many people say that, I mean, it's really amazing. And I never thought that I would be the kind of person that just sat down and meditated every day, but it really is like, if I can't get to the studio or I can't have a full practice of yoga, like 10 minutes to just sit by yourself in quiet, closing the eyes so you're away from the external physical world, it's really powerful to just kind of feel energy and connect with yourself and then connect with the energy around you. Um, when you first started, did you find it difficult to not freak out? <laughs> oh my God. That's so fun. I always forget about that, that it's scary to sit in quiet. Um, yeah, I couldn't really meditate for that long a while ago when I first started and it needed to be a guided meditation. Like it had to mm -hmm. be so, like a, a voiceover or a podcast or whatever. Um, so yeah, I remember it being scary to sit alone with your thoughts and it, I wouldn't last very long. It would be maybe five minutes and I would be done, but just continuously showing up, sort of embracing the challenge, doing it anyway, it gets better. <laughs> like you said, you have to kind of clear everything out. There's a lot of stuff there that you can't see. And mm -hmm. if you can just start with a couple minutes by yourself, sit with your eyes closed and see what happens and just sit with it. And it gets better. It gets easier for sure. So yeah, that's what I really, I think I want to focus on that a lot more too, as I've been teaching a little more meditation because I want to show people now, um, before it was all yoga. And now I really want to show people how powerful meditation is. So I love that. <laughs> how has your family and friends responded to this newer version of you and, or, how have you dealt with the almost certain urge to like grab people by the collars and say, Oh my God, stop <laughs> torturing yourself. Oh my God. Right. Isn't that how it is? You want to be like, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, um, um, let's see the, the second part of your question. I remember, I can't remember what you said first, but the, the first part is how have your family and friends been reacting to this newer version of you, this more peaceful version of you, this more heart open version of you. Um, let's see to that. I would say maybe it makes some people uncomfortable, but I don't care. So I just keep moving forward anyway. Um, so as for my friend, um, my family, I think they're just they've just adjusted to it kind of just it's not like they don't accept me for who I am or they don't accept this part of me they're just not into it but I think we've came mm -hmm. to a really good place where they're like okay this is crystal she's spiritual whatever and there's just kind of like this understanding and I don't care so I just am who I am anyway um for friends that'd be a little bit different because I, I went through a lot of solitude um, when I was healing and going through an eating disorder and I had just moved, I didn't create a lot of friendships for a long time. I didn't really mm -hmm. have friends. I, I, I have friends from like childhood really and stuff. Yes. But like, I didn't create new friendships for a while. 
So all of the friends that I have created have come more recently in my life and kind of fit my life. Mm -hmm. Like it just works. We're kind of, we're understanding of the same things. So that was never really like a big thing, but um, yeah, I just feel like that's you've mourned that period of your life yet where you were so lonely. Um, yes, yes. I think it comes and goes, but I definitely was like, that's a cool question. Um, because it is like a morning. It's like, you have to leave this part of yourself. When you realize the things that you could have had, right. There's, yeah. there's a part of you that has to sort of like process that. Yes. Because at least for me, like, you know, let's say there was a period of time where I was estranged from somebody, whether it was friends or family, or mm -hmm. I was acting like a dick or I was ignoring somebody because they had been acting like a dick or whatever. Yeah. And it's all that is lost in what could have been. It yeah. almost like it's, that's what's being mourned is the, the possibility that never could have come to fruition because of just the reality of life, right? Yeah. That you were going through something and it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. But no, it can I still be heartbreaking. That. Yeah. Yeah. You do. There's this weird part where you kind of realize like, Oh, like, I don't know. I almost didn't, didn't realize for a while that I wasn't making friends and that I was alone. And then at one point there was this point where I was like, Oh, it was, but I had this understanding. I was like, I was going through a lot. So I didn't have space for all of that. Um, and there was probably a lot of emotions around that time where I felt really mad at myself for a little bit and then blah, blah, blah. It's like back and forth, but I've mostly come to a lot of understanding that it, what, there wasn't space for that in my life. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah. To like have sort of time to, you know, understand yourself and have kindness for yourself for what you went through. Um, being your I feel own like that friend. is, it's hard to quantify the percentage, but I feel like that's half the damn battle is giving yourself the grace to be mm -hmm. who you are. Yeah. You know, like I was just a hurt kid doing my best. Yeah. I still am. Yeah. And every day I get up and I do something that's less than perfect. Mm -hmm. And I can self-flagellate about that and beat myself up and, yeah. you know, get, get down on myself and whatever. And all that will come of that is more negative. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like, you have to look at yourself with the loving eyes of, of a mother yes. of, of the mother, right. Yes. Of Gaia mm -hmm. and just yeah. see like, you just are this blossoming flower mm -hmm. that's going through shit and doing your best every day. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're pointed towards better, it's great. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can also, what else could you ask? everyone's going through it, you know, I mean, it's like a collective, you know, everyone's experiencing. Hard and that's the thing is I feel like once you forgive yourself and you give yourself some grace, it almost blasts open the door to having empathy for other people Yes, because you realize like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> yeah. everybody's going through shit. Yeah. Everybody had a fucked up childhood in one way or another. Because yeah. the worst thing that ever happened to you is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Whether it means you grew up in Auschwitz or you grew up in a, you know, waspy 
tight ass family with all this money, but expectations and control and domination, right? Like everybody went through something that terrorized them exactly. that created challenges that they are eventually going to have to overcome as adults. Yes. Yes. But it's like, I truly believe that those challenges were given to you to help you for a reason. I, I mean, that's easier to say probably in my position because I didn't go through something extremely traumatizing, but there can be a lot on the journey of healing through those things. In this lifetime, by the way, yes. you didn't. That is true. In this lifetime, <laughs> who knows about the past, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's part of the journey to go through those things. They're, they're there to teach you things and to show you things and to help you along the way. So realize Did you ever that, hear of the stoic philosophy, the obstacle is the way. No. There's a gentleman, I think his name is Ryan holiday. Um, good friend of Tim Ferriss. If you, if you know oh, him, he's got a very popular podcast, wrote the four hour work week. Yeah. And, um, he studied a lot of the ancient philosophers and Stoics, you know, Greeks. So people who live thousands of years ago, but have like enduring wisdom. And one of their premises is the obstacle is the way, which means that the things that get put in your path, mm -hmm. if you look at them more objectively, meaning yeah. less with the emotion of this is unfair and I'm pissed about it it can become the thing that helps you grow. It can yes. become the thing that rises above and transforms you into that next layer. So like you were saying, you get excited when the darkness comes because yeah. you know that there's something transformational around the corner. That's, that's sort of the key theme behind it is that yeah. embrace the suck. Yeah. You know that life is ups and downs mm -hmm. and just ride the wave, yeah. figure out what's on the other side because yeah. it's and probably going to be cool. That was another big thing that I learned recently just through my time in Bali was um, emotions. So many people go through their life through the lens of their emotions. Their emotions control what they do and how they feel. But being able to look at your emotions objectively is a game changer. If you can just notice them, see them, but don't let it affect your choices and your moves and your decisions, you can kind of just let the emotions be there, obviously feel them, but don't let it control you is a game changer. That's <laughs> what I like... got from Michael Singer's book, The Untethered um, Soul. Yes. So for anybody who hasn't read it or isn't familiar with the concept, he poses a question very early on in the book, which is who are you? Mm -hmm. And most of us grow up thinking that we are this body, we are our minds, and we are our emotions. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it would appear through all available evidence and all the research I've done and thousands and thousands of mm -hmm. years of spiritual and religious text, that that is not the case. Is we right. are the witness yes. to all those things. Exactly. We are the witness to the, to the mind, the witness to the emotions, and the witness to the inputs from the body. Mm -hmm. And so being in the seat of self mm -hmm. means that you are detached enough. You've, you've sat back enough in your consciousness that when an emotion flares up, it doesn't flare up in you. Yes. It flares up in front of you. Exactly. And you're like, 
aha, yeah. I that I'm pissed about this. I wonder <laughs> why, where does that come from? Yes. And you get this ability to look at it very objectively. Mm -hmm. And it's like, thanks for the feedback. I want, yeah. you know, what do I do want to do with that? Do, is it something that is like a real proper threat to my immediate self? Mm -hmm. Is there actually something that need be engaged? And in fact, almost never, almost absolutely never would that come from an emotional space. In fact, yeah. I'm, I'm even willing to say that it literally would never come from an emotional space yeah, because gut instincts, I think are like the ticker tape to the universe. Yes. It's like, that's where your intuition yeah. comes from. That's where flow state comes from. That's where the Akashic records get like read through your body all day, every day. And it tells you the perfect next thing to do. So when there's a true and proper threat to your existence, it's coming from the gut. It's not yeah. coming from the heart and from these inflamed emotions. Agreed. So totally. if you're feeling that vibration, if you're feeling that those those reactions, whether it's jealousy or rage or anger or guilt or shame, you can basically rest assured a hundred percent chance that is a stored emotion, some kind of old trauma response that's getting vibrated out and, and causing you to have this yeah. response. Yeah. And if you look at it that way, it can become a curiosity. Yes. It can become a like, what the fuck is that about? Yeah, exactly. Instead of throwing up whatever that energy is on the person in front of you who happened to pop that bubble, which is how 99.9% .9 of people walk around, yeah. right? You see people in the grocery store driving down the street. You know, it's sad. It's sad to see because it, it used to make me angry. And now it bums me out because it's like, oh man, those people are in so much pain. Yeah. Because hurt people hurt people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the same way, I feel bad. Again, you want to just shake them, <laughs> like wake up. But they're on their own journey too. So they'll find their that's way. exactly right. Or when they're meant to. And isn't that a mind fuck? So that's a really good <laughs> example of one of the tripwires that's built into this spiritual path is you get this kernel of wisdom and suddenly you want to bring it to the world. Yeah. But you can't. You can't. Because yeah. it's like if you go out to your garden in the spring and you take that little, you know, blossom and rip it open, you destroy it. Yeah. You cannot force a flower to bloom. Exactly. It doesn't work like that. Exactly. Oh, that's such a good analogy. I love that. <laughs> You have to bring it water, mm -hmm. let the sun shine, yes. brush away the pests, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it happens. Prune it maybe. But it, it's so hard because I've got several folks in my family, immediate and extended, that are in a lot of pain. Spiritually, emotionally, and, and actually some physically because all the spiritual and emotional pain has gotten to the point where it's becoming somatic. Yeah. It's causing things like fibromyalgia and other autoimmune disorders because there's so much like deep and significant trauma. Yeah. Mm, sad. And old me would want to like somehow force them into some type of a healing process shame them into some type of a healing process, you know, like 
beat them over the head with, you must do this. You must think this, you must, blah, blah, blah. And now I look at it and it's like, I open my heart to them. I might send them yeah. some books. Yeah. I might make a recommendation here or there. I might say, Hey, if you want to have like a talk, I'm happy to come over and sit down for a chat. If you want yeah. to come here, whatever, like, yes, so that they know that they're loved mm -hmm. and that there's space for them. But then like, it's their journey. Exactly. Exactly. And man, is that hard. Kindness, but it's, it's their journey. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. That's so hard. But how did you get, how did you get over that so fast? You're really young to have already gotten over that. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. That know. could just be part of the old soul stuff. I think it is. I don't know. I just see it that way. So, but have you, what did you think when I first said that to you, by the way? This guy's fucking nuts. <laughs> um, I get it a lot, actually. I'm not going to lie. Wow. I, I get it a lot, which, you know, I don't really tell a lot of people that because that can You don't want to sound like you're bragging. Thing, like, yeah. Oh, I'm an old soul. Um, so I don't really say that a lot, but, but I, I get, do get it a lot. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> do you believe in, in reincarnation and all that? I do. I think I really do. I, um, I think it makes the most sense, but you know, I'm also, I could be wrong. So I don't know. I don't know for sure. I'm not set on something, but I, um, I read a book. Um, the name is slipping my mind. I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to let you know if I remember, but it's a book. It's a very small book about, um, I think it was a psychotherapist. Um, and he was very, he was just like a traditional therapist. Um, I, I might be saying the names wrong, but he was a traditional therapist that was not spiritual at all. And then he talks about this one, um, patient that he had and she, he used, um, hypnosis to help heal his patients. And she started, um, communicating from her past lives. And the way he writes about it in the book is really cool because he never believed in reincarnation and it completely changed him. And he suddenly did. And anyway, the book is really cool and it describes reincarnation basically and how you find the same people over and over again. Um, so that book made a lot of sense to me. And I like to think, I like to think it's true, but again, I could be wrong. I don't know. What do you I heard a very interesting theory from, uh, somebody who's done ayahuasca many times. I don't know if you've done any psychedelics or anything no, no, um, no. that our DNA is actually an encoding of everything that's ever happened since the beginning of the universe. Wow. And really what happens cool. when you do ayahuasca is your consciousness goes from this, because if you think about it, um, from the scale of the universe, we are exactly equidistant between Planck's constant, which is the smallest measurement mm -hmm. of something mm -hmm. and the, the scale of the observable universe. So it's something like 10 to the negative 34th or 40th. I can't remember the number is Planck's constant. And then the scale of the universe is 10 to the 34th or 10 to the 40th. Okay. So our, like where we exist is right in the middle. And so the concept is that when you're on ayahuasca, it takes you down to a smaller, like compression of consciousness. Like you're going to a, mm -hmm. a smaller, like uh, 
you're still in the same dimensions, but you're, you're going to a, a like a higher, higher or lower vibration. I am not sure how to describe it exactly, mm -hmm. but that basically you're going into the DNA. And so all the spirits that you see and interact with and all the past and future lives and all these things is actually you taking like a journey through your own DNA that tells a story of everything that's happened since the universe began. Wow. Which is pretty fucking crazy to consider. Yeah. That sounds um, like a lot. Like and I haven't book. done it myself yet. Wow. But I do, I do think there's certainly something there and there's a reason why the Icaros of South America, the people who hold these shamanistic ceremonies with people with ayahuasca and other plant medicine, mm -hmm. the way in which they're able to heal old stuff, it seems very possible that they're not just healing this lifetime trauma. Because yeah. one of the things we know scientifically now is that if a mom has trauma while pregnant, that epigenetically is coded in the baby's DNA. Wow. So the baby mm -hmm. will come out, like, let's say a mom is starved mm -hmm. during pregnancy. That gets coded in mm -hmm. the child in terms of how they think about and treat food. Mm -hmm. If the mom is physically attacked in some way and feels unsafe, that's get, that gets encoded yeah. on the children. So if you imagine that, however many times backward, like we're all like data storage machines passing it down one generation to the next. Yeah. So there's no reason to think that like there's not millennia old trauma stored literally at the cellular level. Yeah. Wow. And if you think how many, how many yogis are there in the world? How many spiritual people are there in the world? And then how many Christs and Buddhas have there been? Not that, many. Not that many. And I think it's because there's so much to heal. It's beyond just like this, yeah. whatever we've gone through here, yeah. but there, there could be these other echelons mm -hmm. that you don't even know or understand. Yes. Um, and so I, that kind of stuff I find fascinating yes. to consider. Yeah. I agree with that. Like, it's like, that's what makes me believe in it more too, is that like each lifetime you're sort of like healing yourself a little bit more and you're meant to have the mm -hmm. challenges to help heal yourself a little bit more that eventually you probably make it up to the place that I guess to enlightenment or to a place where like you would consider a Buddha to be like, that makes sense. Like each lifetime you, you learn more and you, you, so some people aren't ready again. And like, maybe sometimes you go backwards. Yes. Yes. I agree with that too. Yeah. Sometimes you go backwards, but you, you're given the challenges to help you grow forward. But yeah, sometimes they take you backwards. I totally agree with that. It's so interesting. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> but you ever get freaked out thinking about it? Yeah. <laughs> Not in like a, like I'm scared way, but it's just wild, right? It's just wild that it could be like that. And I don't know. I'm just like, I'm so curious to this. When my cat died was the first real experience I've ever had with death. Like I've been very lucky enough that all my main people in my life are still here. 
she was my best friend. So when she died, I got wicked curious. I was like, where do they go? Where is she now? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand how you can be here one second and be gone the next second. Right. So I started really thinking about it a lot more. And so it it does, it doesn't, it's crazy, but that has been on my mind a lot. It's just like, what happens? I don't know. It's very interesting. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people feel that way too. I'll tell you, I spent the better part of 40 years never really thinking about it. Well, really? Even though my dad died when I was 28, it was just like, that was just trauma to be buried and hustled past. Yeah. I um, I never really spent that much time considering like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what happens after? I feel like, like I think about that every day. <laughs> Well, I do now. Yeah, literally. You do now, yeah. Whereas, but and that's part of the people. matrix stuff, right? It's yeah. like before you before you come out of it, it's about yeah. like fast cars and food and yeah. sex and money and yeah. all this stuff, and it's just like, and then all of a sudden you yeah. get hit by a bus and you're like, whoa, wait a second, what none of that matters <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your thoughts are. How do I get this Kundalini rising? Like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You're right though. I guess a lot of people may not even be thinking about it, but I do. (laughs) So if you could take someone who is struggling and give them a message of hope, what would that sound like? Because obviously you, you had a point in your life where you weren't sure of where you were going to head. Actually, let me, let me ask you that question differently. If you could go back to the crystal who had an eating disorder and who felt unlovable and who was lonely Mm -hmm. and, you know, didn't know that it was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. What would you say to her? What would your advice be? Um, I probably, It's hard. Uh, how would I put this into words? Um, there's been so much experience. I guess I would say to love yourself. Like I would say, you know, it starts with yourself. So forget about everyone else and focus on your relationship with yourself. You know, what can you do in this moment to to practice loving yourself and that's a hard question i guess i don't what would i tell her i would tell her to just trust trust her inner instinct because i know i had i deep down i can i can remember that you know you have this instinct that like where you're meant to go and just follow that sort of gut instinct and your intuition and just follow it where it goes and it will lead you in the right direction and just keep your eye down that road you know try to not let other people and other things throw you off the path just keep moving forward from your intuition and your gut feeling Um, but I think a lot of it does start with self-love as well I think loving yourself and have a creating a connection with yourself is the beginning to a lot of happiness and love and joy and all of those good things that come in life. So love yourself. <laughs> what does self-love mean to you? 
does self-love mean to me? It means accepting yourself as a whole. It means embracing each and every part of yourself, the quote-unquote bad and good. It means being there for yourself, and it means trusting yourself, and again, your instinct. You know, it's hard to put that into words, what self-love means. It really is. Um, it's a you hard just did one. A good job. But <laughs> that's, that's the best I can come up with it. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Self-love is, is beautiful. Well, you're a beautiful woman <laughs> inside you. and out, and I appreciate you deeply. Me um, too. This is a really interesting conversation, and we're on the same wavelength, so it's cool. It's cool to talk talk to people who get it. <laughs> I I knew you were on the wavelength before you were even on the wavelength. I oh think that's God. actually quite interesting. That's amazing. It's really that's right really because cool. you hadn't been to Bali yet, and I, I still knew. I was like. Oh, she gets it. <laughs> yeah, and it's only going to get cooler. Like, I can't wait to see. It's so cool to, like, I can't wait to see myself in 10 years. Like, right? Like, how cool is that to, like, not be afraid of who you are in 10 years? But, like, can't wait to see all of the growth. Like, I'll be guru by then. <laughs> but it's exciting. <laughs> I'll I'll say this. Be prepared for the tripwires because they're coming and you won't, you won't see them coming and they'll be weird. And all of a sudden it'll be like, why am I face down in the mud? I was just like soaring up to the heavens. Cause I, I spent the, from June to October of last year in a deep depression with like crippling anxiety. And that was coming off the back of like two years of like soaring just wow. like elevating all the time. And I'm not suggesting that like that level of thing is going to happen. Yeah. But it's hard when you're, you're just chugging along and like things are just getting better and it's, you're feeling more peaceful and it's getting easier and you're attracting and manifesting things in your life. It makes it that much more devastating when something goes sideways because it's like, Wait a second. I had control of this. <laughs> yeah. Wait, it was going so well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is not to say that in 10 years time, you're not going to be uh, an unbelievable spiritual guide to, to those on this plane. Cause I'm quite confident that you will be. Thank you. That's, um, nice. that's just me. I don't know. It's the truth. Uh, doing though. my best. To, yeah. Just it's doing my best to let you know that. It's, it can't all be sunshine and rainbows, unfortunately. I promise you. I know. <laughs> but I <laughs> need a reminder. But I know. That is one thing that I have also, you know, come to learn through yoga is that there is challenges. But again, like I said, love the challenges. So hopefully if I'm ever in a dark place, I, I can come back to this um, podcast and listen to my words that I said I love the challenges. <laughs> And right there, I'll be like, okay, embrace it. Oh, what a fun idea. I had actually never even considered that as a use of this. For, uh, <laughs> right, for my self-reflection on that. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I like that. Well, I would certainly love to have you on again in the future as you continue down this journey, as we, we're both like intertwining this path, right? Exploring different sides of it. But I think um, it's really cool. I, I have a lot to learn from you. And uh, as do I. And it's just a, an honor to be in your sphere. Thank you, man. And thanks for kicking my ass every week. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks for coming back again and again. And thank you so much for having me on. This was so, um, so nice. I, like I said, I love, love talking to like-minded people. And then also I love the fact that you're opening this up to everyone else who's interested in it and may feel like they want to step into a more spiritual world or maybe they don't and maybe this will trigger something that they will. So I think it's really important to share this with the world as well. So thank you for giving me a chance oh, to welcome. share my part. And I love that you're doing this. You bet. And I'll give you, I'll give you all the links and I'll make some clips and stuff for you to share. Yes. Please. So that uh, for the spiritually curious out there, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I think that conversations like this that don't go too far off the deep end can be an interesting way to kind of you know, dip your toe in the water and start to understand what some of it means. Cause I think, you know, a lot of the stuff you come across on TikTok and Instagram can be so over the top, yeah. you know, into the occult or alchemy or yeah, whatever. And it's not, I'm not saying those things aren't real and powerful, but like, if you don't believe in those things, right. It's like, yeah. And people, people aren't starting off believing in the force. No. They're starting off believing in the physical realm and yes so they need some time to acclimate yeah and that's okay so thank you for, for helping folks acclimate yeah, you're welcome that's where it all starts and it just gets better right. well with ups and downs but better <laughs> that's right <laughs> it just because it, you know it's it's up and to the right exactly. it's just it's wavy yeah it's just <laughs> wavy but it's going up even if you can't see it. that's right <laughs> Exactly. exactly. Well, my friend, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure and I will look forward to seeing you at the studio. Thank you, Matthew. I you am honored to have been here. So thank you so much.